Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Welcome to episode 17 of the Lessons Learned podcast. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. I was interviewed yesterday by Sheena Brady, the founder of the Founders Fund. The Founders Fund is a membership community where you can become a member as a female founder or female identifying founder of a company and have access to funding, resources, training, and tools, everything you need when you're going through running your own business or if you're in the ideation phase of starting your own business. This uh, first started back in 2019. I was the first grant giver to the Founders Fund and that helped create the domino effect really of raising over $40,000 Sheena raised and granted to five different female founders from across Canada. It was an incredible thing to watch. And then this year, I became an investor in the company, the Founders Fund, that launched this membership model a few months ago. So the reason I wanted to share my interview that Sheena did with me yesterday is because we talk about the process I went through uh, to decide on investing in the Founders Fund, my experience as a founder, um, the audience and the founders who were there in the room, there was about 30 members who participated, asked me a lot of questions about my own entrepreneurial journey. And there is a portion where I also talk about my key takeaways and things I learned around pitching um, and how you can be very effective when you're seeking to do something new. Um, So I talk a little bit about my Michelle Obama experience as well. So this is a different kind of episode. The audio is also different. So I hope that you guys uh, enjoy it. And I wanted to also share this because memberships for the Founders Fund are open until Sunday, January 29th. So if you're listening to this, you've got a couple of days to become a member of the Founders Fund. And the way that it works is half of your membership fee of $225 goes into a funding pool that you have access to as a member um, for potential grant opportunities. So the goal is up to $50,000 in grants are going to be available. And there's already close to 300 members who are part of the community. It is incredible. I got to see it firsthand yesterday, and I hope you guys will consider becoming members and leveling up your entrepreneurship experience for those of you who are entrepreneurs. And for the rest of you who aren't, this episode is full of so many different nuggets about my journey uh, that I think that you'll be able to learn a lot from. So without further ado, this was my interview yesterday with Sheena Brady from the Founders Fund. To find out more about how to become a member, visit foundersfund.ca. Hi, everyone. Hey, everybody. Look who I got here. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Amazing. So happy Tuesday. Yes. And happy official. Welcome to the Founders Fund. Welcome to the fun. Yeah. We are so pumped because we knew for a while we were filming this, like for at least a month. But randomly yesterday, I thought, 
well, we have some Ottawa members, so why don't we invite them to see if they'll come in real life? And this was literally like yesterday, hour, <laughs> and I thought maybe nobody will come, but you all can't see this right on the live stream, but like right behind you, there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Ottawa members that showed up last minute to come support us. I'm like tempted to pick up the laptop without effing everything up. I, I censored myself just there. That's a great start. <laughs> You're better than me. Amazing. And so this is great. You are all adding to the energy in the room. So thank you so much for coming. And the 20 some people, members online, like this is incredible. Yes. This is exciting. This is so good. Yeah, what a way to start. So I remember the first call Sheena and I had oh, you're last year. Oh, you how we met? <laughs> how we really connected? That is how we met. It is. That was the first time. Yes, you're right. It is. So yeah. we had tried to get a call on the books for a while and it was actually just to like get to know one another. Mm -hmm. And Sheena started telling me about the Founders Fund and this was at the beginning of 2019. She had just been pitching the end of 2018 to get the fund uh, started, getting people to invest, donate, uh, so that- And just put a pin in that and I was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, because I had pitched myself, I don't know if any of you have been there, but you pitch yourself over and over and over again. And then when you don't get the results you expect, it's extremely deflating mm -hmm. and it makes you question, why am I doing this? Yes. So with the Founders Fund, by the time I got to your call, I only showed up, to be honest, as a courtesy, <laughs> like to be, just to make sure that I didn't seem like a flake because I was ready to hear no again, mm. because that was the pattern that I had heard over and over and over again. Yeah. So just to share how I was feeling at that time, but yeah, yeah. continue. Yes, yeah. and you were telling me how, you know, you had shared the vision with so many people and how you'd built Tease Tea over the last few years and the value it had for you, but that you knew that this wasn't your full legacy company, mm -hmm. that this was gonna be part of your legacy, but that the Founders Fund was what you wanted to really live on That's beyond right. you. Yeah. Because you knew that if you had access to this funding in the beginning, like you, you, you've shared this and we'll share this, I'm sure through the journey with, with members, but you couldn't get funded in the no. beginning. You built this company off credit cards yes. and paying those credit cards off and there was no lines of credit. And so this opportunity to be able to pay it forward through membership, through the funding option up to $50,000 availability to all of you, that's a game changer. And so for year one, like this is, this is a year in. Yes. When you were pitching me, yes. it was like, no one had come on board and you weren't even pitching me. No, it was, you I, were just telling me showed up how hard the raising yeah. journey was and exactly. what this vision was. And I was just, you know, explaining my, my vision and how, you know, it felt like a little bit deflated. And I was kind of going through the motions. And then you said, oh, I'm so in, like, I, I, I want to be a funder. And I, I kept talking, <laughs> I didn't hear like, like you said it and I heard it, but I didn't listen. Like I didn't really hear it because it's not what I was expecting to come out of your mouth. So I just like, and then I was like, holy crap, wait, did you just say you want to be a funder? And you were my first yes. Because also so you. what you had said as part of what you were explaining was you were going to match a certain yes. amount that came in. Yep. So full transparency, because what are we doing in the Founders Fund if we're not talking dollars? I put in $5,000 in the beginning. Yep. And that turned into how much? It turned into just about $40,000 in our first year uh, to help fund five companies. Yes. Yeah. And so imagine that, yes. <laughs> our wonderful <laughs> Founders Fund members audience here and all y'all online, we're all, we're all clapping because imagine that, like it's literally that first domino. And I think as any of us who are building our businesses know, whether it's funding or whether it's traction, whether it's your audience, whether it's the first sale, that first one is always so important. When you get that, it's like, 
confidence is built on competence. Mm -hmm. And so when you're saying your confidence was shot, you were questioning your own competence about raising and creating this next company. But when someone goes in on you, Mm -hmm. it's that confidence boost that you need. And I'm in a raise myself right Right. now. Right, for the sponsorship for the sponsorship for the tour. So I've had to build up my confidence the last two months to even get to starting to knock on people's doors. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard putting out the ask. Yes. Asking for support. But once you get that first one, it's like the momentum can just keep going from there. And that's what we also want this community to be is kind of a hub for all of us to come together and say, hey, I see you in that struggle. I see you in like that hard place. I was just there, mm-hmm. but keep going. Um, I love that. Yeah. And so for those you don't know, obviously Como is not only our very first funder with the Founders Fund, but she is also our investor in the Founders Fund, which means that the 2020 iteration becoming its own corporate structure, its own identity, its own team running behind it. Because my team, as much as they loved pitching in at TC to help with the Founders Fund, we still have a tea company to run. <laughs> so we knew that if we wanted to take this to the next level, we really had to make it a sustainable company. And so thank you for being the first to believe in our potential um, as our pilot program in 2019 under TC. And thank you for investing in our quite literal brand new company we built by accident. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's literally one of those things where when we were creating Dream Girl, which was the documentary film I produced uh, back in 2016, we always had a dream to have our own fund. Um, and so instead of, you know, trying to put that pressure on myself, like I have to build all the things because we don't, we mm-hmm. don't have to build all the things. Right. We build the thing we're here to build. Um, when you came and shared that you wanted to scale it, I, I just knew that you already had momentum. You already had incredible membership. You'd already funded five companies, uh, shown traction with the raise last year and so it was like let's let's light this thing let's on fire in the best way yeah and here we are with almost 300 members i know isn't that incredible that's incredible yeah it, it, is, <laughs> it is truly remarkable so let's talk about who is como Ooh. so <laughs> so we already i'd love to know right? let's go <laughs> given a bit of an introduction so people are probably dot connecting and I know you and I know your background but girl like you are just so accomplished <laughs> and, and fearless that like I'm gonna read just so I don't butcher it okay okay, okay. all right so, <laughs> all right so Como Mijas is an angel investor entrepreneur and host of the lessons learned podcast awesome podcast by the way I love listening to your voice in the tub but so so I love being with you in <laughs> yes, the tub so let's be real <laughs> Uh, and you recently interviewed the one and only Michelle Obama on stage, which is truly incredible. And so uh, in addition to all that, as you alluded to, you produced Dream Girl, a documentary about women identifying entrepreneurs that uh, premiered at the Obama White House. And that landed you on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list. Okay, come on. <laughs> That's amazing. You're making me blush. Um, before I kind of go into the loosely structured questions I have, just out of my own personal curiosity and maybe for other people, so it seems like your path has now kind of shifted into realizing that um, you are here on this earth to interview people and share the stories of others. What made you realize that this is going to your path at this point? I have this wonderful knack of when I sit down with people, they give me their hearts. Mm-hmm. You do? And- yeah. <laughs> It's the Como eyes. Like if you've ever sat this close to her, like she can see through you. You just like you just share everything. Anyway, and what I realized, like so, as with all the highs that are on on my bio, the the equal lows existed in my life. Whether it was grief from loss, um, or a cancer diagnosis and recovery, 
um, other illnesses and recoveries, it was like the highest highs and lowest lows of my life happened simultaneously. We were named Topher Super Soul 100. The next week I got my cancer diagnosis. Right. We premiered the film at the Obama White House that same month I had my first surgery to remove the cancer from my body. I was on my first magazine cover that same week I had my second surgery. Um, and so just that juxtaposition of life made me realize when I was in my recovery, because I had to leave New York to come back to Canada to recover, mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was just on my knees. I had hit a rock bottom. And when I was at that rock bottom, I was just looking for content, for stories about just to show me that I could come back. Right. Because competence equals confidence. Mm -hmm. When you're sick, when you're grieving, when you've gone through something hard in life, when you've experienced a trauma, when you've been fired, your confidence is shot. Mm -hmm. So you look externally to find ways to build yourself back up. And stories are the way that we learn to, to do that. And so when I was sick, I realized there's a gap. I need more stories of rising. I need more episodes of the Oprah show online. Right. I need like, access to other people's experiences, not just about their highs, but about what did you do to climb your way back up? How did you rebuild yourself? And so I focus on sto stories of resilience and rising. And I talk to all my favorite people about it. And that's what we're doing on the tour this year. So Love it's, that. I want my heart to connect to other hearts around the world and for us to learn how to build each other up. That's incredible. Storytelling. I love that. That's an incredible journey to be on. I mean, it sucked yeah. when I was in it. <laughs> for sure. Let's be real. <laughs> but the privilege of having my health back, yes. of being in a room like this, being able to pay it forward um, with the wealth I've been able to generate through investments, it's, it's literally, there's nothing else I would rather do with my life. And there's no, there's no bullshit in the way of what I'm here to mm -hmm. do anymore. So it's like, I'm here to do the work and this is the work for me. As she says with coma lies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here I am the interviewer, interviewing the most professional interviewer, like no, no questions. <laughs> So let's get into these questions. So um, for the people that are online, a few things, like I said, we have some loosely structured questions um, that I have here that we're going to go over. And then of course, if you have some as well, um, please just drop them in the Q&A box here and I'll be checking them periodically. Um, okay, so let's talk about origin and early setbacks. So you've openly discussed your experience uh, in being let go of a job early in your career. We're both in the same getting fired club. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I like to think it happens to the best of us. Yes. At the time, it's like the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah. But looking back, would you, would you say that it was probably a good thing? Oh my God. When I got fired, I literally looked at my former boss and said, I have so many suggestions for you to make things better. Right. And the look on his face, it was like, I had just stunned him because it, it was, I just realized so much that the spaces that I wasn't meant to be in and, and being fired showed me that I, that wasn't a space I was meant to be in, mm -hmm. taught me so much about culture, about how I wanted to be managed, how I could manage well, like with others, um, and gave me such deep empathy. So being fired was probably one of the best gifts of my life and leaving my company, leaving Dream Girl was probably another big gift in my life because oh, okay. it, uh, while it was like such a powerful magnanimous like movement. You created, yeah, I was gonna say, you took words on my mouth, movement, it's an understatement. <laughs> it, was, really it, it was 2014 to 2016. In the last five years, 13 million women have started companies. Mm -hmm. That's a 20% increase prior of the prior years. And Dream Girl got to be a part of that movement, but as with so many things, you know, uh, Kim and I, who works mm -hmm. on TST or um, the Founders Fund as well, uh, we talk about this often, but Elaine Welteroth, who was the former editor-in-chief of uh, Team Vogue, 
she talks about how that was the thing that made her, but also it was the hardest part of her career because it was, she was isolated every day. She just experienced so much discrimination on a daily. It was a hard place to be. And for me, Dream Girl was a similar experience later on with my time there. So we built something incredible. And then at the end of it, I felt like complete shit. And that's what happens as well in startups or with businesses if we don't have strong boundaries. So I think being fired and then exiting my company, um, not on my own terms, uh, taught me so much about how to do it right this time. Uh, So they were both beautiful gifts in very shitty packaging. (laughs) I love how you said that. And it's it's so easy for us to look at how shiny and beautiful everything looks on the surface, right? Mm -hmm. How's your tea, by the way? Yeah, that's <laughs> I love it. Product placement. I love it. Enter elevator music. Mm. Best tea ever, right? <laughs> what flavor am I drinking? So this is turmeric tonic. Oh, I can, like yes, I ginger, can. pineapple, beet. Yeah, it's a really good mix, especially in the daytime. Do you guys want some? Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What do you wish you you knew ten years ago? about yourself mm. and your business. Like what would, what are you, 29? Sorry. 30. Just, oh, amazing. Welcome 30, flirty, and amazing. thriving. Welcome to 30. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is perfect, how timely. So now you're now entering into your, your 30s, into mm-hmm. this, my favorite decade yet, to be honest. Um, so yeah, what would Komal tell Komal at 20, now mm. that she's 30, in both personal and business? When I think of like retroactive advice, it takes me down a rabbit hole where it's like, oh shit, it would be so much I would tell her. But at the same time, I would just say like, just show up, just show up for this decade, like continue doing what you're going to do because there's no regrets I have with what, what transpired over the last 10 years. Um, but just like face it all with as much grace as you can possibly muster because um, it's going to make you strong. AF. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And it, it also, um, sometimes our setbacks make us incredibly more resourceful too, mm-hmm. right? It's like, we know we've been through some really hard moments. What's another one? I can do this. Exactly. I can get through this, right? So I think the, there's beauty in that too. A lot of power. Yeah. It's again, the competence building confidence. Mm-hmm. If you've been through hell and back, you know that, like, I know they, like people say, the more people you love, the more grief you're going to feel in your life. We just know that this is part of the human experience, mm-hmm. but it's like with any other muscle that we flex, our resilience is a muscle that we can flex and build over time. Um, and it's the hard things that can give us that resilience. Our parents want to protect us, right? Like you're a mom. Yes. You don't want anything bad to happen to your little baby girl, but it's that hard stuff. If we teach young people how to rise and how to come through it, especially if we think of it as an, at an economic perspective as well. Like so many more people are deferring to entrepreneurship because the traditional workforce isn't working for us mm-hmm. and job security isn't necessarily a thing. So when we're looking at building that resilience muscle, it's not just about that personal resilience, mm-hmm. but it's about how do we, in an economic standpoint, how do we from uh, you know success standpoint or traditional living our lives and being well as human standpoint, integrate resilience with how we face these challenges. Absolutely. I think about that as a parent, to be honest, a lot. Like I grew up in a a single household environment. So my upbringing is very different than than my daughter's. And so I I do think about that. Like how can, uh, if you're in a more privileged environment growing up, how can you still build resilience and grit and, um, you know, tackle complex problems and be super resourceful. And so, yeah, I think about a lot of that as a parent more than ever, it seems. So Right. Anyway, I'm not even a parent. I think about it for future prospective children. Yes. If I'm blessed with them one day, I'm yeah. like, what would they do right. in this situation? Because I don't have enough to worry about. It. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so you kind of alluded to this already when you're talking about, you know, your new path, uh, wanting to share the stories of others, but was there a specific moment or a series of moments where something just clicked? Like that moment where something just totally made sense and you realize that this is your clear purpose, you know, your path. It's very recent. Mm -hmm. I was building an entirely different startup a year ago. Right. I was building yes. a company called CoreSpace and it was a platform for telling intersectional stories. Um, we were creating content from, from writers from all over the world. Um, and what I realized was I was creating the thing that I wish I had when I was sick. It was like, this is what I wish I would have had to recover and, and come back from burnout and, and whatever it was, teaching people to work differently. But I was hiding behind it. I was not wanting to involve myself in the company. So I built it like, so that it could live without me because I was so scared I'd get sick again, mm -hmm. or I was so scared, you know, what's going to happen to this company if I'm not around anymore. Okay. Because that's the thing of when you face something so stark as, you know, your own mortality. Um, it takes a long time to remind yourself that you have the privilege of still living. Right. I mean, to go there, we're going to heavy place right now. <laughs> um, but yeah. So when I was building CoreSpace, it was actually an advisor that I just met for lunch once. It was the first time we met and I was explaining the company to her and she's like, you don't want to build this. I was like, yeah. you don't know yeah, me. You don't know. You don't know and, me. and at this point you've already invested time and resources and people. Like, yes. you know what you want to hear, right? <laughs> and once like all of that settled yeah. down, I was like, you're right. Yeah. This isn't what I want to build. And so I made the hard decision over two weeks to shut down that company. I, I let so six hard. people go in one day. Oh my gosh. And the funny thing is, fast forward four months, they're all, a good chunk of them are working with me again on this new project. Mm -hmm. But having been fired, mm -hmm. having had to exit a company not on my terms, those six conversations are some of the most proudest hours of my life. Because letting six people go I did it with such empathy, such compassion for both of us. They were able to hold space for the, the situation. I was able to hold space for the situation. They're still my friends. Right. And now, and a lot of them, as you said, are working with you again. They trust you enough to work with you on your new endeavor. And I think that's, that's huge. They trust me after I like, had to no. shut a company yeah, down. That's, it's that's like, incredible. wow. So yeah, I don't remember the question, but that's, that's what I have to say. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I now have another question. Perfect. Because it just dawned on me as you were speaking that, you know, your the way you set up Core Space, um, you basically trusted a team to help build and execute for you. And as you shared, you wanted to be more hands-off because of your own personal fears and concerns, right? So now flash forward into your current business. Your business is you. Yeah. Like it's all you. Like it just dawned. There's no hiding. Yeah, there's no hiding behind anything. And yeah, so so that just shook me a bit because I'm like, whoa, like that's a totally different um way to run a business. And that has to be that has to come with its own challenges and fears. So so what is that like going from such a, a completely different um state of leadership in a way? You are your own leader, you are your business, right? Yeah. Now. It's totally different. So the question you did ask before yes. was when did you have that oh, moment yes, of clarity? Right. <laughs> so right. when I shut down core space. Literally, six weeks later, I got the Obama interview. And literally, like, there was this domino effect this fall, September to October, mm -hmm. of 14 events, speaking events or, or moderating opportunities that came up across North America. I met some of the most brilliant humans, um, and it was just this flow state. We hear about this, right, yeah. when you talk either from a spiritual side or even entrepreneurs when they talk about flow state in their business. When we listen to 
And when I talk about alignment, you can talk about it from a spiritual perspective, but you can also talk about it from a rational perspective. When there's less self-doubt coming up, when there's less things cropping up and you're just listening to what you know is right for you, um, things just start to flow. Mm -hmm. And that's what ended up happening for me when I shut down Core Space, like the shift and how quickly it all happened. I worked on that interview for eight months. Yeah. I got four. Oh, and four, we're going like, to get into that Yes. Too. I got like, <laughs> we'll talk about it later, yeah. but just the amount of no's that I heard. Yeah. And then the serendipity of her coming to Ottawa, me being able to moderate. People pay for that chair that I was in mm -hmm. to interview. Up to $50,000 companies pay to interview. And Just I to got have that their chair. name mentioned once during the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. But I, they chose me. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I was like, this is beyond serendipity. And the interview, which we'll talk about, like that was the moment for me where I was like, why are you doing anything else but this? Right. And so it became my mission. And when a company is built on you fully, like the brand is Gomal, uh, you have to be so centered in yourself because the world can shut you down. Mm -hmm. People can tell me you're not worthy of being like trying to be somebody or build a company around you, build a company around empathy and your own personality. Like, who are you? Mm -hmm. But my mom always said this growing up to me and I never fully understood it. But, and she always said, you know, she, about herself because we lived in a really hard household um, and people would always try and cut her down. She's like, I know who I am and no one else can tell me who I am. That's powerful. And so being 30 and fully feeling that and looking at my mom who, when I was younger, I was like, yeah, whatever, mom, like, yeah. you know who you are. That's exciting <laughs> for you. But what do I do? Yeah, it must be nice for you, yeah. mom. <laughs> but now I get it. It's like people can try and, you know, throw me off, but mm -hmm. I know that this is what, I, this is what it is and I can deny it or I can mm -hmm. lean into it. I'm gonna, you're leaning hard. I'm going to lean into the, it. Into it. Like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, let's just, you know what? Let's just segue into the whole Obama Perfect. Yeah, interview. Yeah, <laughs> we've already kind of done this. So I've listened to many of your episodes uh, of Lessons Learned. And that one was truly like eye-opening in terms of how many little dots it can take to connect to that final big moment. And I think like a lot of people don't realize that. Like some people might've seen you interview Michelle Obama and see, well, say, well, oh, well, she's Como, of course, of course she did. She's successful, she has a track record, but you grinded it hard. You did so much work. And the way that you shared it on that podcast, I highly recommend everyone um, listen to that episodes of Lessons Learned. Um, it started way, way back, as you said, eight months ago. Actually recording my recap episode of the interview itself this week, because I had done one, but I used segments from the audio from the show, which they asked me not to. And I was like, fine, I'll just keep this for myself. <laughs> I will share this with my grandbabies one day. Uh, so I'm re redoing the recap this week. But so many people ask me, like, how did you prep the questions? I had been prepping questions for 10 months. Mm -hmm. I read the book. I yeah. listened to the audio. I read it and I listened to it. I watched like numerous interviews with her. I had been prepping my questions for 10 months. Um, and then I rewrote them the night before the event. Of course. <laughs> I, I will say though, like, that was supposed to happen exactly the way it did. And I, and I want to give like a couple kudos here. So obviously, you know, when everything changed with the person who ended up going to Toronto and what have you, but it was, we just came off of International Day of the Girl, right? And so the way, like, it just made so much more sense to have an incredible local woman interview Michelle Obama. It was very fitting. Um, you obviously had like the background and the experience to not only interview her, but you seem to pull out some real vulnerability out of her that I think very other few interviewers or interviewers 
interviews, yeah, would be able to do. And I saw that in her emotions. I saw that in some of the tears that welled up in her eyes and some of the conversations in her thoughtful responses. Um, how do you think you were able to, to, to pull that out of her? It was truly remarkable to see as somebody who was sitting in the arena like watching the interview. I think what can sometimes get in the way of us connecting at a human level with people mm -hmm. is the pomp and circumstance we think exists around a person. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I would say it was actually in a big part the depth of my trauma mm -hmm. that allows me to connect with people. Yeah. Because when someone tells me um, their hardest experiences, it's not that I can empathize or sympathize, but it's I understand my own version of that. And I think when we peel away the layers of who we think we're supposed to be and what ego tells us we're supposed to be and the nerves and what am I going to look like and am I wearing the right thing and am I enough? Mm -hmm. um, people just want to be themselves. Yeah. And we're just humans at the end of the day. We're just humans. Yeah. And when I looked at her on that stage, it was literally like, I'm here to show these 8,000 people what it truly took for you to be who you are today. Because any of us can achieve whatever it is that we're here to achieve. Um, and I know that to be so true. Oprah says it, you know, like she grew up in the Southern United States post-segregation. She shouldn't be who she is today, mm -hmm. but she is. And so if we give each other that grace of like just looking at each other at a human level and being like, I see your trauma, I see your pain, I see what you came through. And I also see how much excellence it took for you to become who you are today. Mm -hmm. And I respect how much hard work you put into it. Then it just turns into a conversation between friends. I love that. And that's what I was going with earlier about giving kudos like to the team that ultimately allowed you to interview her because it could have just been some corporate uh, play. It could have just been someone, as you said, paying 50 grand for a company for the opportunity to interview Michelle Obama. And then it just becomes, you know, just less engaging for the people who are watching and, and uh, just less of a personal experience. And I, and I think like the way all of this transpired, it really allowed for the most powerful interview possible, mm -hmm. truly. And it was beautiful because it wasn't Edmonton. It was Ottawa. Right. It was my hometown. It was your hometown. My new yes, hometown. Your new hometown. My mom gets so mad when I say that. She's like, you're from Grand Prairie. Like, Don't forget it. We're from India. But like, hey. Is there anything else that you want to like wrap up about that whole Obama experience? Because what I loved about what you've shared so far, at least how it felt for me, is that you gave some actionable takeaways that I think everyone in this room and everyone online can really take back to their business, right? And so if you just summarize that in just like a few key points, what would they be? I think the biggest takeaway for me is like, that was a moment in my career. It wasn't my career. So it's like, it was really important. And now when I go and do my tour and ask other people to be interviewed by me, it gives me credibility, but it's not a shiny moment like that doesn't do the work for me. I still have to build my, this career. Mm -hmm. I still have to build this company. I still have to build my show. I still have to build and gain the respect of the audience who's going to come and watch what it is I have to give the world and mm -hmm. what I want the people who are coming on my show to give the world. So that was a hard experience for me because we can be really hard on ourselves. And so even though I interviewed Michelle Obama, even though I've had a great career so far, there's still a lot that I beat myself up about and that I don't think I'm worthy or enough around. 
So even when you're seeing people who are doing like that, make you feel jealous, that make you feel like, oh, I want, I could do that. That capacity is within me. I'm capable of whatever it is in front of me. Um, you're still like, they still have those experiences too. We are all like that feeling of enoughness, not enoughness is just us continuing to want to grow. And so we have to be gentle with ourselves and care for ourselves that it's not about the end goal. Like it was about that journey of who I became, right. who I was becoming <laughs> no. in the process of interviewing Michelle, because it's like who I was with that first no to who I was with the, the, that no. And then finally getting the yes. It was like, I had to surrender so fully mm -hmm. to the fact that this is a, a journey and I can't let no's take me down. I still have a great life. I still have loving partner. I still have, you know, nutritious food. I still can move my body. The gratitude is wider mm -hmm. than just the one moment or the one yes or whatever it is. And so you have to love the shit out of the journey mm -hmm. because the moments will come and go. The Obama premiere and the dream girl movement. Like I remember someone at an event, they're like, are you enjoying your 15 minutes? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. And also when you're in it, you don't realize it's a moment. Is this someone who was close to you? No. Okay. No, and like, he actually didn't mean it to be <laughs> no, a dick. No, sure, I'm sure. But yeah. in that moment, I was like, wow. Like, but I went home and I talked to Mitch and I was like, do you think this is fleeting? Mm -hmm. And of course it was. Like, it was a moment in time. Yeah. And that's what we forget is like, the moments don't make us, they build up into a life. Yes. And so that's what I have to remember and remind myself about that and that, but we still have to celebrate the moments. Yes. And you know, you came afterwards and it was uh, right around my birth, my 30th birthday, it was like two weeks before. So I had a bunch of friends and family come to milestones after. Funny that it's milestones, celebrating Kim, a milestone. Just side note, Kim, Kim had to hold me back because Rupi was in the room and I was like, Ruby core is in the room. I, like my heart just like was racing. And it's like, slow down. Slow down girl. But anyway, sorry. That, that's just like, no. that was my takeaway. Yes. From yes. But what I'll actually say about that is what's so fun with your friends and the people around you is you can lift each other up through the journeys that you have. Yeah. So Rupi came to our New York premiere and we were recently friends and came to the White House premiere. And she was writing book two at the time. Mm -hmm. And then when I was sick, I came to her book release for book two in New York and got to see how like beautiful and insane what she was doing and creating at the time was. And now she's writing book three and we were in that room together. And this, it's this ability to lift each other yes, up and show throughout up for our each careers other. and yes. show up for each other so wholeheartedly. Yeah. And that genuine sisterhood and support of one another that I think things like the Founders Fund and the people in our lives who can lift us up can give us that is what takes us through, mm -hmm. you know, through that whole journey, I was able to lean on so many important people, but without them, like I could have crumbled even more. Right. And so they lifted me up. Oh, that's mm. incredible. Okay. So I'm going to look into the box. Let's see. I think we might, let's see what's in the box. Oh, wow. Okay. We got some questions here. So first we have, I believe that's Sindhu. Yes, Sindhu. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So in regards to pitching, how do you name names and build that credibility without sounding braggy? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think it's your intention. You know, um, there's a way to be humble and honest. And that is this, like, there is a spectrum. So you have humble in the center, what everyone wants to go for. Diminishment is on the other side of it. And then that, like, 
asshole is on the other side mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> you know when you're being a dick. You know when you're trying to like prove yourself or like show that you're something. But when you're saying like no feel do, when you're trying to build credibility, you're not saying it to be name dropping. You're saying it to say, this is what I've done. And it's a fact. Mm-hmm. Like just a fact. it's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're doing it to try and be like, this is what I've done. And therefore I'm, I have, I'm, I'm entitled. Yeah. Or this different. makes me important. Yeah. It's, it's a subtle thing about your intention when you're saying it. Um, Cause I've been in moments where I feel like the people around me aren't seeing me. And so I feel like I have to prove something. Fuck yeah. that. <laughs> I know. So true. Like that is not the, A, the spaces you need to be in. And B, if that happens, you have to ask yourself, why am I feeling so small in this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing is you can never make yourself small enough to make someone else feel big enough. Mm. So if you're feeling like you're bragging or like the person in front of you isn't re- truly receiving what you're trying to give with the truth of your story, um, then they're not worth your time. And that's what we forget too, is that sometimes these high level people or people we're pitching to, um, we think they're somebody because they have a title, but when you're in a company or when you're, you know, work at the UN or get into these organizations, you just realize like people are average yeah, and it's like true. things aren't as fancy and shiny as we think they are. Well, it's like that quote from, you know, Michelle Obama was saying, I can't remember who was asking her, but you know, what was it like being seated around a table? Oprah asked her. Men. Oprah asked her. Um, yeah, how is it being in a room full of men? Like, was it intimidating? And her answer was something like, you realize that they're not that smart. Great. Yeah, they're not that smart. Yeah. And it's like, it's, and it's not even an insulting way. It's just more like, they're not as like smart as we might hype them up to be in our, in our mind that we have just as much of a right to be there and take up the same space that they do. Yeah. And so, yeah, because they're just humans. They're just humans. They're all just humans. And yeah. like, when it, you know, we just think things are so much more complicated than they are. Mm-hmm. And it's literally like, it's not that complicated. Be a good person, work really hard. And obviously I'm oversimplifying when it comes to systemic issues in society and you know macro issues when it comes to geopolitics, like obviously. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, it's just, when you look at someone, it's just like you are a human who's, ha- who's had a human experience. Mm-hmm. I have empathy for what you've gone through, but if your shit is going to get in the way of us doing something great together, then that's on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say like, think of your spectrum. S- try and stay as in the middle as you can. In Sikhism, we have this phrase, it's called it means keep your head down, like stay humble. Math means like keep your morals high. So if that, if you can find that balance, like that's what, that's my guiding force in life. And it's when I, when I'm saying these names or when I'm saying the facts of what I've done, it's not to diminish anybody. And I know that. Mm -hmm. And if the other person, it starts diminishing themselves, that's their job. That's their work to do. Um, So even if it comes across as braggy, who cares? You're there to, you're there with a mission. So Practice it until it just becomes like your truth because it is, you're doing the things you've done the things amazing, and you're allowed to own it. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So let's, yeah, of course. Yes. (laughs) What I'll do is when you ask, I'll probably repeat it just in case you're wondering why I'm repeating it just so everyone can hear it uh, online. Yeah, sure. Uh, Amazing story. It was super inspiring and I'm not going to put there about persistence and all this stuff and how you work so hard for this thing over time this big thing happened for you that you, you know, manifested and made happen, but then what did you do after? So did you follow up with Melissa? Like what, what- After the interview. Afterwards, exactly. 
after the interview. Yeah. So yeah. do you want to repeat the question? Oh, yes. Um, what happened after the big thing? Um, so after the event happened, um, I had, this is a very interesting question because I had booked my fall tour of sorts, my speaking events, my engagements prior to this landing. So I was on a flight the next day uh, to New York and I had an event to go to New York and I flew back that night. And then the following week I had to be in Toronto for two speaking events. And so I didn't have time to process it. Okay. So that was my mistake. Um, but it's not one that I could have fixed because I had already preemptively agreed to a number of things. Um, but after any major win or success, you're going to have the bottom out. Like, I just know this now in life, like the high is, I was going to, it's not actually the high is the surgery. The recovery is shit. Like, mm -hmm. it's like you go through or the high is like the, the Michelle Obama interview. The low is all the self-worth questions that come up after it because you're like, did that really happen? Does it matter? What does that mean about me? What does this mean about this? And it's like, it actually, none of it means anything. It's all value we're ascertaining to it. But so afterwards I went back on tour, did all my stuff and I didn't actually fully get to process it until a couple of weeks later. But in terms of follow up with her office, I followed up with Melissa, with Roger, with the various people who I'd been in touch with, um, with thanking them deeply. Um, and because at the actual event, like they were actually taken by how well the interview went. So that was really cool to come off stage and see Melissa just be like, you killed it. Yeah. And I was like, I killed it. <laughs> as somebody who was in the audience with thousands of other people, not only did you kill it, but as an audience person, like I felt it. Mm. Like, I felt it. It was, it was incredible. Sorry. I, I no, like, I met someone the other day in Bridgehead and we just got to talking and they were like, yeah, I was at the Michelle Obama that wasn't like, I was in my sweats and like, just, you know, living my life so they obviously didn't realize and I was like I interviewed her and they're like you're so great <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> da, 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 da. and it, it's so funny to like uh, hear people's perspectives and that's also the grace of the gift of it is it got to introduce me to Ottawa again mm -hmm. post being sick post moving back um but afterwards was a roller coaster and it was a roller coaster of what do I do now uh and it's funny my mother-in-law today she called me and she's in retirement and she just ramped down a part-time job that she was doing and we were talking and she was like, I need your help to make sense of what the next right step is for me. And so after any big win, we have to make space for the come down. Um, it's like postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to compare it to motherhood journeys because I don't know that experience, but just from what I've seen my friends go through, it's like, you've waited for the big thing. Now you have a child. Right. And now it's this experience with reconciling your experience and being a mother. Um, and for, I'm not going to parallel this the same at all. So we're going to say that's an experience. My experience over here was like, you birthed this thing, you created this thing. Um, and now the come down is what does this mean about me? What am I going to do next? But then also how do I create space to celebrate? Mm -hmm. Um, so I did my best to do all those things. And that's where the seeds of the tour started to be planted was October. And I officially like took the leap and invested in making it happen late in December. There was a lot of shit that happened in between. Um, so it wasn't just like, it wasn't just good the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So Nima, who's the founder of Saralia Designs, beautiful, modest clothing. She basically shared that in her entrepreneurial journey, there are two dials, fear and excitement. And, you know, both are obviously like extreme ends of the spectrum. So my understanding is how 
how can we kind of like turn that dial a bit so it's like more of like an even keel in the middle so that you're not constantly strung out on one end or the other mm -hmm. is that right okay cool so i feel like there's always going to be those extremes mm -hmm. um but it's how centered you are in the process um because whether it's fear whether it's the negative emotions or the positive ones um you can live in either side of it and it's part of like the buddhist tradition and even like within sikhism where we it just talks about this pragmatism with your emotional self um where the steadier you become the less those extremes matter and so i'm living it in action with this part of my journey where I used to have really heavy oscillations, like depression where I couldn't get out of bed for days. And then these highs where it was like, there's Oprah, like, you know, like the extremes. Yeah. Um, but now that middle ground, and it's really come through this building this resilience muscle. And there's these seven C's around building resilience in ourselves. Um, I can't remember all of them right now, but I did a podcast episode on them. And the more we can just become in tune with like our own, um, the things that can anchor us, whether it's prayer, whether it's exercise, like those actual daily habits that root you in a day, because then you can focus on what do I have to do today and not the big things that cause the fear of like, where am I going? Is this going to turn into the million dollar company? And oh my God, look at all these sales that came in. It just becomes part of that longer journey. So what can anchor you in today helps me bring those, the sides of that, that spectrum closer and focusing on the work um, because we can get so stuck in, in the what ifs, mm -hmm. but it's the action that creates clarity. And so just continuing to move, whether it's personal decisions for what your wellness routine is that day, what you have to do for work that day, how you're going to ramp down your day. Um, the less space I have for my brain to just be insane, the better off I am in a day and not from to manage anxiety for sure but also creating the moments of stillness. So mm -hmm. the meditations where I'm falling asleep, <laughs> <laughs> but also the meditations where I can actually build that clarity and just that peace that I want. Um, yeah. I think we share definitely resonates with a lot of us as entrepreneurs because we're constantly like, what's next, what's next, what's next, while we're putting ourselves out there when we're risking so much to put ourselves out there. And I think this goes back to the end of the day, like we're all just human, right? Yeah. And we have to remember what are those things that make us human? You mentioned prayer or exercise or maybe it's cooking or what have you. And, and that's been a huge part of my own personal journey recently that realizing I am more than just that entrepreneur or that person who works at Shopify or whatever. And, and so I'm trying to um, appreciate more of those, those moments that make me human. Like I like to nerd out on plants. I, I'm getting into reading again. Um, I got my first gym pass in my yes! entire life. I'm so <laughs> proud of you! I know, right? So, and now I'm identifying as like a person who I also like, love that you called it a gym pass. What did you call it? <laughs> I don't even know I still don't work out. The joke for anybody who knows me well, why I never work out is because I'm allergic to sweat. Is what I'm like, I really like hated working out for so long, but Michelle Obama, sorry, can I bring everything back to Michelle Obama? Yes, but we she, all should. Yeah, but what she said on stage with you resonated with me and made me get my gym pass. <laughs> I don't know what she called it, whatever. Uh, was that you need to find the, the thing that works for you. Like it shouldn't be a burden. So working out shouldn't be a burden. So I'm not a cycler. Like I went to one soul cycle-ish class and I lasted 10 minutes and I was like, peace out. Like this yeah. is not for me. This is horrible. My legs and my crotch are on fire. Like, get me out of here. Um, but now I'm into like, you know, the, the yoga and the treadmill and now it's a joy. And I get the yes. steam room before I leave and the sauna before I leave. And it's like my mini Nordic yes. experience. And 
makes me feel human. So yes. anyway, to your point, Mima, all that to say, I think that finding the things that make you human can help with that, you know, that spectrum of like either excitement or fear every day. It's, yeah. And it's comfort and yes. allowing yourself to live in your version of luxury. Yes. Like when I lived in New York, I had no reprieve. There was people everywhere. <laughs> there was concrete everywhere. They had trees, but they were devoid of life in my opinion. And it just was like, I couldn't replenish. And because when I'm on, I want to be on with people and I want to connect so deeply, like it takes a lot for me to refill my cup. And now I know that. And I live on an acreage in carp, like middle of nowhere. No one can find me. Like when I'm off, I'm off. And so that is a privilege I know, but that's what I needed to know that this is how I fill up so that when hard things happen, I don't oscillate as much. And that was also the difference between that no in March and the no in October. It was making the hard decision to shut down core space because core space was my way of avoiding my true life's work, which is building this show and building lessons learned. Um, and it's how many of those distractions do you have in your life that you know are making you avoid more important things because that also keeps you off center. So it's like a lot of um, therapy and coaching and inner work and routines mm -hmm. and habits, but that helps you optimize your life for whether you're an entrepreneur or not, whatever thing, hard things you're trying to face every day. Absolutely. Okay, we're gonna go back to the box. Um, a mutual friend of ours, Makini, you were on her podcast, yes! right? Yeah. This week. Amazing. I, I believe I'm scheduled early February, so I'm yes. pretty, pretty excited about that. So she wanted to share what the seven C's are. So okay. they're confidence, competence, character, contribution, connection, coping, and control. Thanks, McKinney. Yeah, thanks for having her back. Yes. <laughs> thanks for fact-checking. This is good. <laughs> so, actually, I got you. Amazing. So we're going to go to Michelle. So hi, Komal. Oh, I know Michelle was actually a part of our, our 2019 program. So this is her, her second time at the Founders Talk. So Woo! welcome back, Michelle. It's, it's so great yeah. to see you here again. She's probably like, we've never met. How do you know me? But anyway, <laughs> big fan of your business. She's out in BC, I believe. So she says, hi, Komal. My co-founder, Ravina Anand, Anand, has been following you for a long time and thanks you for being such an amazing inspiration to many young women, especially Indian women. Similar to you, Ravina grew up in Alberta as an Indo-Canadian. Growing up, what were the biggest barriers as a woman of color did you face? And would you suggest, how would you suggest others navigate those challenges? Thank you for asking. Great and question. hey, Michelle, and hey, Ravina. Um, <laughs> so it's funny when people ask this because growing up in Grand Prairie, I experienced not a lot of racism. And people are surprised when they hear that. Um, my parents had their fair share of experiences with racism. Um, because like it, it's a predominantly white community. But by the time I was raised, my parents had been in the community for 20 plus years and our family was established and known in the entrepreneurial community. Um, but that being said, I was always aware of being the only or the few. One of my best friends was also South Asian and she came when I was in fifth grade uh, and it just gave me like solace in, or fourth grade and just gave me solace in knowing someone. Um, and she like actually lived like behind my house. So we had this community, um, but it for sure made me become an overachiever. Mm -hmm. Like that was my coping mechanism was how do I perform? How do I be the best? Um, because my mom would say like, we have to work X amount as hard to be known, to be seen, to be accepted. 
And that's what my parents did. Like they became entrepreneurs. They became some of like the most prolific entrepreneurs in the city. Like they didn't just go, you know, they, they went hard. Um, and that I think became both a blessing and a curse for me as I got older because I didn't know how to stop until my body forced me to stop. It took a cancer diagnosis and losing vision in my left eye uh, from a neurological illness for me to be like, okay, body, I will yeah. listen. Time to slow down. Time to slow down. Um, mm -hmm. And now I've been able to choose and reconcile my life in a way that works for me, um, which is great. But on this sense of being the only or the few, I was at a conference last week um, and I shared online with my Instagram community what it was like to be one of maybe like a couple dozen women of color amongst 4,000 white women. That's incredible, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for taking us on that journey. Did it's anybody see journey. that on Instagram? So the TLDR, the short and medical story, yeah. uh, you were at the conference, the RISE conference, Rachel Hollis. Yeah. You're a fan of Rachel Hollis, I take it. Obviously, yeah. that's why you went. <laughs> um, and so you went and you experienced being like a significant, like, minority in in the I guess like the stadium right yeah. like there were there were just not many women of color at all and it was it was quite um I guess like shocking for you in that experience so yeah thank you for taking us on the journey and uh, because I think like for myself as someone who doesn't identify um as a woman of color of course it it made me realize how much of a responsibility that um I have as well to make sure that people um, feel comfortable and feel seen and feel included. And of course, you know, I, I knew this in the back of my mind already, but hearing the stories, like so many people replied to you and you were sharing that so transparently and the different perspectives and different point of views and the different experiences. It was extremely telling all from an Instagram story. Like yeah. I learned so much. Thank you. Appreciated that. Yeah. Sorry. I just had to No, And I appreciated your message because I, I, I feel like a lot of women of color, we fear speaking up and out about these experiences because we don't want to be the angry person of color, mm -hmm. um, or the person who's being too much of something. You're too woke. You're, you're trying to teach too much or like, you know, that's not our, our burden. Um, but in that situation, the only way I could be in the room was to find my community elsewhere. And so my online community showed up and out for me and it was like, wow, incredible. not only that, but so many of them were in my DMs and were like, I've been too afraid to say something publicly when I'm in a situation like this. Um, but what was crazy to me was the conference organizers, they checked every box that they should have to make it an inclusive event. The programming was 50-50 in terms of diversity and gender makeup. Um, the actual organizing team was very diverse in and of itself. The speakers who were people of color were phenomenal. Um, like they, the marketing was done in an inclusive way. Um, they just have events in four different cities across North America. And this one, they'd never done this like this before. It was a very white demographic. It was in Southern Florida. Yeah. And Gomal is like, yeah, I'm going to go to Florida because I got to see Oprah for her 2020 tour, vision tour the week before. And then I was going to go and see Rachel Hollis. And also from an event planning perspective, going on tour myself this year, I was like, I want to learn from the best. Um, but once I got there and I was at registration and I looked around and I was like, there are one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> um, and there's more event staff from the company they hired to work here who are people of color than there are attendees. Um, and also what stood out to me is like, she intentionally doesn't talk politics to her audience because it's a predominantly Southern audience. And we know why you do that. We know why Taylor Swift did that for years. Like you don't want to lose those clients mm -hmm. or those customers. So it just became this like big exploration for me, but also made me so aware that as I'm entering personal development and self-development space, 
with the critical lens of how the world works, it's my responsibility to speak up and out about this yeah. and to be honest about my lived experience and the lived experience of my audience and community. And also not to lump women of color and people of color in one, like we are very diverse in that one, you know, yeah. title space. So what I would say to how I would suggest to others to navigate those challenges is find your community who can support you while you are the only or the few in a space because you need to be in that space. It can be isolating. Your knee-jerk reaction can be to leave. And this also goes for women in male-dominated spaces. But if we can find the supports we need and the inside jokes and the conversations and like the words and the, the messaging that we can do, like a WhatsApp group with your friends, like whatever it looks like, to help you through that hard period of time so you can still show up and get what you came to get out of the yes. experience. Because as a young woman of color growing up in Grand Prairie, I still deserved good education without harassment. I still deserved to be, have access to all the things that my peers did. My race shouldn't negate that, that value of that experience. And same with at this conference. I decided I will show up every day. I took half a day off to like do my self-care so that I could be centered and not extreme in my reactions to that day. But I still, on the last day, was able to do a full year plan for every vertical in my business, which was my goal coming out of that conference, while also speaking truth to power in that way. Yeah. Um, so it's complicated, but communities of support is the most helpful thing for me. It is so funny now because I've already gotten three requests from people to like help them organize women of color, people of color panels. And I'm like, I am not a diversity and inclusion expert. <laughs> I am a woman of color yes. who felt isolated at an event please hire the people who actually do this for their work. So also knowing that it's not your labor or your job to do this work for other people. Mm -hmm. There are people who actually do this professionally and it's their job. Good point. Yeah. I, I really like Vivian's response. I thought it was interesting. It was something along the lines of uh, those spaces are really hard to be in, but I try to tell myself until I believe it that I deserve to be there just as much as anybody else. And in fact, I want to trailblaze yes. so that the people coming after me can feel more comfortable. Yes. Yeah, it might be just not giving no, that, that justice, was it. but it was something She like literally, because she was at another, Vivian is this wonderful woman who was part of uh, the Founders Fund last year and is in Toronto and, and just built a million dollar business. Um, she uh, was at a conference in Florida where she was literally like, she's like, I know I'm the seasoning. I'm the token <laughs> speaker at this event. Um, she's like, but I'm okay with being the seasoning. And so that night we just talked in DMs and she was speaking the next day and, and we were able to build each other up. And like, that's what happens when you share your story. We get so worried that someone's gonna like, like I never, I got no negative messages. I was shocked. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really cool and very, very vulnerable to share. Incredible. Okay, well, yes. we're, this is great on timing because I think we only have two questions left. So be a little bit more rapid fire and okay. maybe got like three minutes left. Uh, what are the greatest skills, this is also from Michelle, what are the greatest skills you've learned over your journey and can attribute to your success? Uh, I would say having zero fucks to give most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, do when I do get nervous or like in my head, being willing to work through whatever that limiting belief or story is that I'm telling myself. So when it comes to sponsorship, mm -hmm. I invested in yeah. TST. Yes. It's easy for me to invest in other people. But right now where my portfolio is at, I can't, I'm not investing in companies this side. year. And this year, instead of self-funding my company, I'm like, hey, 
I think it's time for me to ask the world to invest in the thing I'm building because mm -hmm. I know it matters. I know the value it will have. But now I have to not only articulate it, I have to pitch, mm -hmm. I have to make myself vulnerable, I have to ask people to help me and to invest in me. And uh, that's hard, totally. but it's taken me two months to get out of my head and now into action. So I think it's our job as entrepreneurs to ask ourselves all the things we fear, like that fear bubble is actually just the things we have to build competence in. Competence breeds confidence. If there's like the baseline for anything that you take away from today, competence breeds confidence. Um, and when you're not feeling confident in something, it just means you have more to learn, more to remind yourself of in terms of what you've actually done or your capacity in that space. And you have to build the case for why, you, why you're actually good at that thing. Um, and once you do, like, it, it feels like you're leveling up in life. Like once I tackle sponsorship and know what the sales cycle is, know how to mm -hmm. pitch people, know my value add, then it becomes a natural part of my business. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can tackle the next hard thing. Absolutely. And then the next hard thing. And then you just get really good at tackling hard things. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what we most admire in the people we look up to? It's the best part of being an entrepreneur, in my opinion. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Doing the impossible yes. or like the impossible. Yeah. It's yeah. like when people ask, you know, with TST, you know, so it's a successful now, congratulations and, and all that stuff. I'm like, look, I still got problems like everybody else. <laughs> Just the problems, the bigger your company, the bigger the problems get, but they become more manageable yeah. because of everything else you've endured prior and you've, and you've taught yourself and, you, and you've grown through. Uh, Jyothi asks, what are some key points when building a team of support who are not getting paid during the startup phase? Ah, that's a really good question. Okay. So have you experienced that? And not getting caught up in the feelings of guilt. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So another Kimism, because <laughs> Kim taught me this, because for me, um, when I was starting up, the access to capital I had um, was really was helpful because like even if I couldn't like I could pay people a small amount and that became a value that was really important to me, but we all don't have access to capital mm -hmm. in that way. And early, early on with dream girl, that was the case for us. I worked for free for the first year and a half on dream girl. Um, and it was tough. Like I was on the other side of that, that side. And it, you start questioning value and you start calculating things. And, but another Kimism is people ascertain value in different ways. So I think if we can be transparent with the people we're bringing on and say, I don't have capital, but right now, what does value look like for you? So you're not assuming for the person because again, like love languages, whatever people like different things, different strokes for different <laughs> folks. Um, but if you can help figure out with that person, what is the, the equivalent value for you in the next year? And that could be introductions to certain people. That could be access to certain events or um, conversations with certain people within your network, or it could be equity, um, or it could be different, different aspects that you can play with, but you get to have that conversation with that person. So having the courage to talk to them and be like, I can't pay you out of the gate, but eventually, hopefully we will get there. In the meantime, what is most valuable? What will help you in your life right now? And how can I help fill that gap um, in lieu of payment for now? So that would be what I suggest. What do you think? I, I agree with the, the, everything you just said. And then to add to that, the transparency, which you basically already alluded to, um, just being straightforward and, and transparent and honest and saying, I, I don't have a lot. Here's why we're just getting started, but we're building something exciting. I want to invite you to come on this journey with me. 
Uh, and with TST, we definitely faced this problem like the first couple of years. I had no money to hire anyone. Um, so what I will say is, even though you might not have a lot of capital to hire someone, um, there are people out there who want to see you succeed and want to support you. Um, and maybe if there's like a small budget that you do have and you can allocate for them, that could mean so much more than you realize. Mm. And so I was really intentional about uh, going on this like Facebook group, Ladies Who Lunch. And I put a call out there like five years ago. I said, I'm looking for a trade show person. I don't have a lot of capital. This is my budget by trade show basis, but I, I'll give you a very generous commission of the sales. And so this way, at least that was like one way to compensate them um, without having to, you know, put a whole bunch of capital front that I didn't have to pay an employee, right? So uh, you'd be surprised. The responses that I got, I think I got 30 people to reply to that. And they were just excited to be a part of like a small but growing local tea company mm -hmm. and, and do something you know, outside of their own nine to five that made them feel creative and, and had fun and, and got to talk to people in the community. And so, yeah, it worked mm -hmm. out. You just have to like put your ask out there and be very transparent about what you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how much mission means to people. Yes. Um, how motivated time. they can be by mission, um, whatever the mission is of your company. I mean, when all the things came out about Away, uh, the company, the luggage company over the holidays, um, where one of the co-founders was just found to be very aggressive and uh, condescending and um, really intense with her customer service staff. Um, oh, I don't know where I was going with that point. That's pretty. <laughs> yeah. talking about uh, mission, mission. mission Yes, people, people in the comments or on Twitter were like, these people were that committed to luggage. Yeah. Like yeah. they were willing to be put through that kind of treatment for luggage. And I don't want to judge what, what, mission people attach themselves to but you'd be surprised how much people are wanting to um commit to something but then like with that story we have to just draw the line of what's manipulation and taking advantage yeah. and what's actually like bringing value to them in a way that matters to them while respecting them and maintaining that transparency definitely like lisa who you probably all met she's here she works here full time she's my sister if you're not aware but yeah in the early days she was in my basement with me packaging tea for like next to free when we were sealing it with a, a clean hair straightener at the top because it's the only heat sealer I could afford. I couldn't afford like an industrial one that did the same thing. We're very resourceful. Um, and now she's, you know, she's here full time and I call her the real boss and she runs like 60% of this company basically. Um, so, so yeah, you'd be surprised. I think like the hardest part is sometimes just like putting the ask out there in the first place and, and being transparent, right? So, mm -hmm. All right. I think we have one more question. Uh, how do you tune into and focus on the best path to take with your career or business? I feel like I have so many ideas and I jump around too much between them. It's like a story of my life. I'd say like, I am very focused now on the show, but that's after a decade of jumping around a lot. So I feel like we have to go through the motions of jumping around a lot to like be like, oh, okay, no, not that. Yes, this, but not all of that part of it. But yes, okay, over here, more, oh, oh no, jumping. It's okay. Um, as long as you have that through line for yourself, whether like, you know, Nemo, we were talking about how she's working full time and building the business. Like, do you have your through line that is going to help you sustain your life that can support you while you jump from thing to thing? Cool. Um, because especially when around dream girl days, people would come to me and be like, I have this idea and I'm ready to quit my job and da 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 da. And it's like, hold the phone. Yeah. Like how much equity do you have built up for yourself? How much of a savings? Well, do you have a family that you're supporting as well? Like, we have to responsibly take leaps. Um, but if you feel like comfortable in that way to test and play, 
I encourage people to test and play. I agree. These and to be are, okay with failure. Yes, exactly. And these people are like, you need to go all in. Like, you don't really believe in your business unless you're going all in and it's all you focus on. And I just call BS yes. on that. Like, I agree with testing. Yes. Um, it's why I'll be at Shopify five years in, in, in February. You know, I started off in an entry-level role um, and just slowly built my business and validated our product and, you know, created a loyal following that kept coming back and just continued to invest in other people. And so it doesn't have to be this crazy all, all or nothing. nothing. Yeah. yeah. No, I so agree. And that part of being multi-passionate as Marie Forleo calls it, um, is that you have to be okay with failure. What is failure? It's not actually like a person can't be a failure. Like you as a human, like I can't look at someone and say you're a failure. A failure is a moment in the journey and a failure actually like could just be a comma in a sentence. Like, you're continuing forward. People ask me, like, when I talk about closing down course space, they're like, how does that make you feel about failure? <laughs> Pretty great because yeah. it led me closer exactly. to like what I'm actually yeah. here to do. I don't see it as a failure. I see it as a bridge. So be okay with your multi-passionate uh, being. Jump and play with the various things responsibly. Um, and that will help you narrow focus or find that you, it's instead of five things, it's three things or two things. Like, mm -hmm. that's okay. We're complex beings. Um, we're not meant for over-specialization, which is why I'm into like the old Greek way of education when you had like Plato and all of them doing their shit because they got to learn about everything. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, I loved every subject. Like I loved physics as much as I loved English. But then when I went to university, they're like, you have to pick a major. I'm a generalist. Mm -hmm. I picked journalism, but I, I was uh, minoring in economics. And it's like, you can be a complex person and have multiple interests right. and we have to let people be okay with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening in to this interview with Sheena. It was a long one, but I just had so much fun. I knew that it would be valuable for all of you to listen to. And again, if you want to be a Founders Fund member, memberships are open until January 29th. You can check out foundersfund.ca to find out more. I am going to be mentoring throughout this experience for founders who are part of it. And it's going to be an incredible year. So make sure you don't miss out. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Komal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S or the show at Lessons Learned Podcast underscore. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye.